All right, here we go. Welcome to the Thundering Herd Legends one-on-one podcast. Spotlighting Thundering Herd icons from the gridiron to the courts, the diamond, the pitch, the track, the courses, and beyond. Each show will sit down and go one-on-one with a Thundering Herd sports great. Here's your host, Jason Toy. Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of our Thundering Herd Legends podcast. Jason Toy here with you, and our guest this week is a guy that I have been lucky enough to know uh, for many, many, many years. Matter of fact, he was one of the guys that helped me transition into life in martial athletics uh, back many moons ago. God, man, we're getting old. I'm telling you that right now. <laughs> but he was also a great true son of Marshall, and he's joining us now in Jared Turner. Jared, buddy, how are you? I'm great, Jason. How are you? It's good to be. It's good to have you here. You know, you and I have known each other for. 30-plus years now, uh, which is great. But like I said, and I was honest in that aspect that, you know, when I was trying to make that transition and here for me coming in as a walk-on, uh, I was coming in about the time you were wrapping up. Right. And uh, you became a, an instant friend to me and uh, another buddy of ours, Mike uh, Janovic, yep. who was who was also uh, transferring into. And yep. and we had that, tra- that that period where we had to make that transition deal of that first year into it. And you were you were great, to, uh, great friend to be a part of it. And just a great guy to hang out with too we had we had a lot of good times yeah well so uh let me just back up for just a second i'm not nearly as as good a person as you're making me out to be i appreciate it um (laughs) but the fact is is that um when you have good people around you um it makes things a lot easier and you guys were just i mean super uh walk on or not i had to walk on yeah and so um i had committed to cincinnati coming out of high school and they were 0 and 11 but they had john harbaugh now i didn't know who that was but that's where I committed to. And then my dad, being an FBI agent, was speaking at Marshall. And I came down to listen to him speak. And Madison Sayer got a hold of me and explained that this is where I needed to be. And this is where my brothers were in Haas and Scotty Crouch from Winfield and all my other Winfield, all the Woodrums and uh, that whole uh, – But they're like a whole clan. Yeah. Uh, and uh, just the best, best people in the world. Um, and so it didn't take much convincing. Um Next thing, I was at a game that Bart actually blew his knee out, mm-hmm. uh, the spring game, and uh, um, I don't regret any. I, I'm so happy that I came here, and uh, the 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 lifelong friends and the brotherhood that we're going to talk about uh, is 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 what is is what has come back and kept me alive, and and uh, you know you, I benefit from this every year it seems like ongoing nonstop. so um yeah. i'm glad i made that decision and like you said we're going to talk about the the brotherhood and, and more about that here in just a bit but going back you mentioned winfield and the the cast of characters that have come out of the putnam county area in winfield but you're part of what state championship teams yes and uh the, you you had a lot of success there we had a lot of success there and i want to say this too by the way while you're at it so uh-huh. when we talk about winfield we talk about i usually jokingly mention the school of champions and it's hard for people nowadays to realize that. Now, if you're talking about track and all the, the other sports, they've done a fantastic job, just dominated. But football, is, it's been a, a go. Now they, they have um, the, the new coach and uh, one of our former mm-hmm. teammates, uh, uh, Eddie Smolder, and he, uh, he's actually married to Coach Bailey's daughter. Um, Chris Massey is assistant coach there. So we got um, – I know that's killing him being from East Bank, but <laughs> – He's finally, you know, if he would have worked a little harder in high school, he might have been able to play for us. <laughs> play for you guys. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, <laughs> I, was I was say you got intensity uh, definitely on that coaching staff between Smolder and, and, and yeah, Massey. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and that's uh, – uh, if, if that's what it was lacking, it was lacking something because they've turned it around. As far as I, I, I believe they're like fourth or fifth, mm-hmm. maybe six and one. They're going to have a showdown with Scott, I believe. Oh, yeah. And so – but all that said, yeah, you're right. The 1987 team, and I can tell you what that taught me. I was part of the. Uh, I played in '87, '88, and I we we actually. And if you go back to '86, um, we won it in '85, '87. Yeah. We lost it in '88 in four overtimes uh, to Bridgeport um, at WVU, and uh, that um, that that entire experience taught me that the importance of being part of something bigger than yourself. Uh, I was just a, a cog. We had, you know, in '87. We never, ever had a struggle game. We, From the kickoff against Ripley, Triple uh, A, Double A, it didn't matter. We dominated, and it's because we had a, a lot of talent. Um, we had, you know, Brent Wells went to Florida State. John Brown went to WVU. We had guys that we had four or five of us that had come here initially um, and guys that went other places. But we only had like 22, 23 healthy people on the team, and we were 13 in those state champions. Wow. And that's uh, – Chuck Landon and I talk about that uh, – about the um, uh, 
the dominance of that of, of that era, but of that particular season. So I was I was very honored and, and very privileged to be a part of that. Uh, a lot of good friends came out of that. Some which I uh, just took down to to the win or to the Marshall game last week, mm-hmm. um, and um, it was. Uh, I love my experience. Now, anyone who knows me knows that I uh, I can be obnoxious at times when it comes to Winfield and uh, and Hurricane especially. So, um, but all that said, I think the Woodrums uh, could be like that too, right? Yeah, 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 the, yeah. Woody, they do it in a more unique way. I can tell, but remind me before we're done. I want to tell you a funny story about the Woodrums. Well, you know, while we're talking about Winfield, let's talk about the Woodrums. Okay. What do you got? Now, we were t- folks talk, uh, tuning in, you know, we're talking about uh, Woody. You got Bill. You got Jim. Bob, who who passed away not too long ago as well, too. So I mean, it you got the whole the brothers, the yeah. whole clan there. And so at Winfield, the fortunate thing was Mama Woodrum was like a you know you remember in Little League when we used to have team moms. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Mama Woodrum was a team mom to everybody at Winfield, every sport. It, it didn't matter, and just uh, just really the. Uh, the 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 matriarch of, of that yeah of that crew so she, her and my mom were friends and when I came here she told my mom to tell me she said tell Jared to go into the equipment room and introduce himself to to the to, to my boys okay so uh, mom tells me that and I'm thinking I'm taking that more as a you need to do this yeah okay so I go in there and uh, I'm 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 I didn't think about it until I thought. You know, we were wearing those old black Newmans and black or white. Maybe we had some green ones at times. Mm-hmm. I went in there to get a second pair because, hey, if Derek Greer had five pair, then <laughs> I, why can't I? I'm a true freshman. Yeah. I went in there and I, uh, I walked back there and I said, uh, "Hey guys, uh, my name is Jared Turner. I'm from Winfield." And Woody <laughs> leans back in his seat and he says. Settle down, superstar. We know who you are. <laughs> and I got so embarrassed and so mad at, and then so frustrated, I turned around, walked out, and I went the rest of practice, season everything without a pair of gloves on. <laughs> Steve Largent style. This so, is eight, this is eighty eight. This was eighty nine. Eighty nine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not and ninety. Ninety year. Yeah. This was. Yeah. Yeah. This was yeah, ninety. Ninety. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and uh, but. The Woodrums, super. Rob Cunningham, Scotty Crouch, everybody that came out of Winfield was, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, they were, uh, and it goes all the way back to Mike Barber, who, um, you know, if I, and if I can say, growing up watching those guys, watching, you know, I wasn't here when the the, um, the tragedy happened in 1970. Um, I wasn't born until 72, but we were moving around the, yeah. with, with the FBI. And so, but... I do know when I when we got here to Winfield, um, or when we got to Winfield, uh, I learned quickly about Marshall and their history, and I watched the foundation being built, um, all the way up through the '70s and through to the '80s, mm-hmm. and to the Mike Barbers, and to passing it along to, um, you know, I, that's one of the reasons why we had such quick success with Chris yeah. Donnan. Um, not taking anything away from the strategy and the coaching and all that, but uh, we had some quick success because we had some talent. Yeah. You know, um, Eric Gates is one of my my closest friends, and he transferred from Ohio U where mm-hmm. he was starting. Um, and it was uh, it was a, a cast of characters, but that said, it was uh, you know back then it was it was normal. So, um, but a lot of talent and a lot of uh, foundation that uh, that the guy, that the guys nowadays when they. Um, they are good about recognizing that um, that the foundation was built long before mm-hmm. the success, and so that's why we take uh, we take pride in it and ownership in it, and 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 hope that the new guys coming in take ownership in what happened before them. Yeah, I was say because even in the in the losing years, when it was down years or any of that, that was all built that build the foundation of where it is today. But you know, and Jared, you talked about you coming here. Obviously, at Winfield, with only twenty-three guys on the team, you guys were you're playing both sides of the ball. I played, so, yeah. So, where so did you play? I know you're a linebacker. I played. Well, so actually, in high school, I was a safety and a tight end, split end tight end. Mm-hmm. Uh, depends on and a long snapper. Really? And I took a lot of pride snapper. in my long snapping. Now, um, <laughs> uh, Mike and I have uh, had a couple nights up there at uh, <laughs> at the golf course where we've. Uh, We've kind of eyed each other up and let's go. And then I bend over and realize that uh, the wounds and the injuries. Are, I may be good for one snap now, but um, so I, I, I long snapped. Um, I had a I had a good run as a defensive back as far as interceptions are concerned because of the the pressure we put on the quarterbacks and mm-hmm. and let's just, let's face it we weren't we weren't facing the I mean we did face Jed Renning who was probably the oh, best yeah. quarterback we ever faced maybe the best in the state until J.R. House came along. Um, 
and we had Shane Pinkerton that we had to face, and yeah. uh, it was, but it was never. Uh, I mean, we had so much talent up front that it made our job easy. I, I ended up uh, with the state record in, in interceptions in the the first game of the season against Nitro, um, and then I ended up, as far as statistics, mm-hmm. pass breakups and interceptions was my uh, what I left at Winfield. Um, uh, so I came here as a as a safety, and then. The second year, they moved me to Will Linebacker. And, you know, that's hard when you're playing behind a Will, you know, William <laughs> King or a, a Shannon King or, yeah. or whatnot. But um, uh, those guys, the guy, the group of guys I came in with, um, even like the LaRon Chapmans and, and you know, Shannon Morrison, who's over mm-hmm. there right now, um, and Joe Cherico, who was here a year before me, taught me more than, than most people will ever know. And I, I'm forever endeared to him. You know, and you you talk about making that transition into the college side of things. Real quick, you took you moved around obviously as a kid. Where where were you born? I was born in Washington D.C. Where you? Okay. My dad was in agents training. He was 22 at the time. Really? Uh, he had to be. He was a clerk for the first nine months until he was old enough to become to go through agents training at 23. We moved around every couple months. It seems at at the beginning, we went from uh, the from Panama City in Jacksonville, Florida, to to the. Um, Dakotas, South Dakota. He fought on the uh, his partner Leonard Peltier or his partner uh, Ron Williams and and Ron's partner Jack were killed by Leonard Peltier during the Indian Wars in '75 when we were up there. Okay. He um, we moved to North Dakota, then to Puerto Rico. Big transition there. <laughs> um, but then from there to Beckley. From Beckley, I grew up in Beckley. Uh, my first, my all my junior or my elementary school. So. Um, uh, I'm I'm still I'm still partial to Woodrow and to uh, to all my you know uh, David Reed and and Chris Gross and, and all those guys that uh, that have come out of there um, that just are, are lifelong friends um, went to Winfield or we transferred to Winfield and I didn't include all the smaller stops that yeah, we had yeah. along the way but a lot of moving around and uh, the common denominator in that was I had a younger brother that we were just best of friends um, I would beat him once a week maybe uh <laughs> if he took my gi joe men but um we were still always uh as close as uh as thieves so what about the, your uh when you got here to marshall and you got to play over at the old fairfield stadium which i never had the chance to do i've done football games there <laughs> and high school games yeah. everybody tells me i'm not missing anything but the one thing i always remember when i came in is you could tell the guys when i came in in what 91 92 the guys that played a lot of games over at Fairfield had a lot of practices because fingertips were kind of rubbed off. They had a lot of burns on the arms and the, and the legs and the knees and all yep. that, too. So it was a challenge to play at that field, wasn't it? Oh, it was. And it, at the time, for some reason, it was state-of-the-art, or so we were told. <laughs> and, and Probably when they laid it, it was state-of-the-art. But that was back when they were, you know, they would describe how they put it in. And yeah. all I knew is that every single person, um, on defense at least, I can speak to where the athletes play. It is on defense, um, and that's a shot at all the offensive linemen that gave me fits throughout the years. <laughs> um, but we all wore those grid neoprene pads on our uh, the compression pads on our elbows and mm-hmm. on our knees underneath our. And so, if you look at any of those pictures or videos, you're going to see everybody's got these black knee uh, neoprene sleeves on and elbows because you hit that man. It was like hitting concrete. Uh, it would just tear you. Um, and then it, even with that, you know, you'd hit your hip and it'd take the hide off of you. And uh, it was just it, – it wasn't pleasant, but um, I thought I was at the big time. We played Furman in 90. They had 17,000 people there, and I thought this is the big time. This, this <laughs> I've hit it. Man, I, I don't know what I've done to be so fortunate, but all I know is I've fooled some people because I thought that – and it, to, to me that was. And, yeah. and that atmosphere over there, you know, it was – um, it was packed. They were on you. Yeah, I mean, they yeah, were on they top, were on top of, of you. you. You're yeah. right. That was a big deal. And, of course, talk about building in that transition when you came in in, in 90. And then, of course, uh, you st- we started back in 87 making run towards championships in the playoffs. And you could tell the improvements happening there. And then, of course, the, the run in the 91 with the, the championship deal down in Statesboro, too. Yep. So, I mean, it was pretty special to be around that, wasn't it? Very special, and I, you know some some things that we talk about when when looking back on that. First, the first thing that comes to my mind are, are the, the teammates and the athletes. I was 
in a different situation. And I don't mind to, to, um, to share this with you, but um, at some point during one of the, uh, so we, we had, we had a, it was the one where Chris Hamilton blew his knee out, but we had a scrimmage up at Laidley Field mm-hmm. in 90, uh, 91 scrim. It was, so this was been 91. We were up there scrimmaging the week before the uh, green white game. And I caught an interception um, and coach Donnan yelled at me from the other side of the field, but he yelled something to the effect of good job 30. And it seems like Derek Greer looked at me and says, he doesn't even know your name. You better fix that. Now, in my twisted mind, that meant, okay, I'm going to show them, so I'm going to fight every day in practice. Now, I grew up fighting. I grew up. Uh, and, uh, and, and so I, would, I, was hitting, I was hitting people late. I was, I was, I was just obnoxious. Mm-hmm. I was tough to deal with and, uh, from a standpoint of a um, – and it, cost, it ended up costing me um, a suspension, and it cost me – and, you know, they gave me more than ample chances. Um, and then until they couldn't anymore, and I was indefinitely suspended – uh, and I went ahead and took that because I was going to have uh, my back cut on, and I was getting ready to graduate anyway. So, um, fortunately, my school was paid for, so I didn't. Uh, but yeah, that was on me. I, I got into some skirmishes out in the in the uh, in the bars um, in the community. Yeah, yeah, in the community. And at first, I tried to sell it with you know, coach. What am I supposed to do? A guy grabs a girl in front of me, and his point, which was. Uh, you know, which at my 19, 20, 21 year old mind wasn't seeing was um, this is a pattern that I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about why are you out there at 2.30 in the morning when you know this is going to happen? And if you can't control it, then I'm going to control it for you. And mm-hmm. and eventually he did. And um, the one of the finer moments for me was last year or year before last, when we had that Zoom call mm-hmm. with everybody. And, and coach, I was able to see Coach Don and speak to him. And uh, he had reached out to me. Uh, whenever I was wounded in Iraq, so um, we we'll get to that. But yeah, um, um, at this point, Jason, I don't even remember what the original. Yeah, you know, was. and we're you know, and you're talking about with the coaching staff and all the you know, the the, the pro- issues that you were having. And yeah. um, but you know, one of the things about it though, you it allowed you obviously in the time that you were here and playing for Marshall. You. And this is where we can transition a little bit over to the brotherhood side of things here and talk about uh, the the life changing thing that happened to you here a little bit later on. But it was the chance for you building that friendships, those families, those brothers, those sisters that we all had a uh, lucky enough to be a part of out there, and even the coaches. You talk about Coach Donnan, I know Coach Gale. I mean, all of them yeah. as well. I know. I know. Coach Gale's probably is important. He was. I'll tell you a story here in a minute about me with him with Coach Gale, but. How, how important was he in your life? Well, let's just say this. I come home wounded um, from Iraq. And when I say wounded, I mean I was I was in bad shape. Mm-hmm. Um, and he came over and got me and took me to the to the facility and made sure that I understood. And you know how Coach Gale is. He's not going to mm-hmm. pamper you. He's not going to pet you. Yeah. He's going to yell at you. And he's going to make sure that brain injury or not, I could be – um, I, I could be on my deathbed, and he's going to scream at me and tell me, which is what he did. Um, <laughs> and he, he made sure I understood that I still had a team because what was left of mine was still in Iraq, um, and I was here, and it was just a bad situation all the yeah. way around. Without him, without Phil Ratliff, Madison Sayer, Eric Gates, Matt Downey, and Bartram, mm-hmm. and Jen, and the whole family, Um those are the people that have kept me alive, and we'll get into yeah. that. But yeah, it's Coach Gale. Um, I, I hated his guts when when we were here in '90. <laughs> there was times where he would come down the hall, and I would actually peel off and go somewhere else because I didn't want that confrontation. Because this was in the old Gullickson. This yeah, this was in Gullickson. Yeah. We lifted in the basement yep. down there, yep. um, and it was uh, uh, it, it was just uh, and they were ter- the heat when we were conditioning. It seemed like they turned the heat up and the humidity, and guys, be it was just miserable. Um, but. What was even more miserable was getting on Coach Gale's bad side. I don't know if you could get on his good side. I never thought I could as a player. the whole time as a player. Uh, and that was the thing for me when I came in. And I was I walked on. I wasn't fast. I had My athletic ability was I had good size. I was a good-sized kid coming in. So I wasn't the quickest or whatever. But I was too small to play line. I was too, you know, I wasn't, uh, I was too slow to play wide receiver. Tight end is where I came in. And, you know, and I always, I mentioned this before, and I talked about this when we did the podcast with Bart, and the fact that he was truly my big brother when I came in because oh, wow. he took me under his wing and took me and took care of me, him and Kurt Nethercut both, yeah. uh, and taught me the ways of what needed to be done and how things would happen. But when I first came here 
And when I was in high school, my parents and I flew up. wasn't the, I didn't have the the formal visit deal. I just you know called ahead. Hey, I would love to come by and see you, and with the possibility of maybe being able to walk on. And we came up, walked into Gullickson, and that's when I met Coach Gale for the first time. And he was all it was great, happy, and everything. And then you go out for practice, <laughs> <laughs> totally different. But no, and that was the what. And I credit this, and I've told him this aside too. And I'll say it to the to the highest hills. That if it wasn't for him and the way that he uh, was a coach to me, and you know, as a you know, when you look at it, as co- I always think coaches are mentors. But when you, what he wasn't the way he was to me is what made me into what I am today, and that is, Amen. and that's the thing about it. He toughened me up when I needed to be toughened up. Now. Did I go on and have a Hall of Fame career? Heck no. Man, I, I always joke around. Folks ask me where I play it. I said, you see that corner of the bench? That's where I, that was my position. But it was he He made me into what I am today. So now what's great, fast forward 30 years, and I've been lucky enough to still be around the program and still doing some things. And, uh, you know, my career is you know, with NASCAR and right. some other things as well, too. And and we, we talk all the time now. Just and he wants to talk NASCAR, I and mean, that's the thing against me. He wants to talk NASCAR, and you know what? I will do talk anything that man wants to for as long as he wants to, because that's how important he was to me, and I know he's that important to you. Yeah, and 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 the fortunate thing is that um, when the, the there was a uh, <clears throat> when I, while I was still wounded, um, they did a, a, a newspaper article on me, and they interviewed Coach Gale and and Phil, mm-hmm. uh, and um, both of them uh, were just incredible as far as. Um, making me feel um, like I still had a purpose and a team and that I was going to and I and and the things that they did and said now they didn't you know they're not going to do it in a way that's going to pamper you but they're going to do it in a way that makes you know that you're loved and coach Gale I mean I'll never be able to repay him for the things he did for me you know we joke about about the uh, about how hard he was and you know, look, it's it's football. You're dealing with yeah. you're dealing with nineteen, twenty, twenty one year old um, type A uh, achievers, mm-hmm. and you're wanting you know. So you've got to have that um, that nasty as a as a coach. You got to be able to get on that level. And you know, he coached the boss. Oh yeah. Um, and, and even Garth Brooks at one time. Oh wow, that's a, okay. <laughs> have t- have yeah. him tell you the Garth Brooks story one time. Well, I asked him about the boss, yeah. and and I asked him about, uh, and I made the mistake of asking him about Barry Switzer, and uh, I didn't realize that uh, how endeared he still is to Barry Switzer for what he did for him. <laughs> and I made the mistake of saying something negative about Coach Switzer. Not so much negative, but um, I was more fascinated in the fact that. Um, I can remember watching him when I was in high school, watching the Miami Oklahoma yeah. games, and uh, and so uh, the interesting thing about Coach Gale is, if you think about it, he's been here as long as he has, and he deservingly with. But when he and I talk, he talks about the funerals of the guys that he's gone to, wow. of all of the players that we've lost mm-hmm. that he's attended. He attended my brother's funeral. Wow. Um, he. Uh, it's just you know, and that's that. People don't talk about that side of Coach Gill, mm-hmm. and um, and if you do, he gets uncomfortable with it. You know, mm-hmm. he doesn't want. But I know what he's done for other players and me, and I know that every single player, when they receive an award, whether it's Randy Moss in the Hall of Fame or whether it's just a a a, a an award from the community, every one of them thank Coach Gale for what he has done for them. Yeah, and so um, I'm I'm like you. I heard your your. Um, Talking about him with Bart and yeah, um, uh, yeah he uh, and that's that's tough. He he, he made it tough to, to love you at times. Yeah. Or, but it puffed you up. Yeah, that's yeah, the thing. oh yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you talked about Switzer. Uh, a couple of God, it had to have been five years ago, five years ago or so. I was at a radio conference and he was one of the guest speakers. So I went up and introduced myself to him afterwards. Said, "Hey, coach, uh, just you know." fan admiration, you know, because the game we played, you know, you have your, your heroes that are up there and the, and the legends that are up there. But also, too, the tie that he had with Oklahoma uh, to Marshall with Coach John and, and Coach yeah. Gale. Yep. As soon as I mentioned that and I said, Coach, if you have a common deal, I've, I played for Coach Don and at Marshall, first thing he said was Mark Gale. Wow. <laughs> and that was what was awesome. That's, so I mean, yeah. that, That's special. Yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 the last time I saw him, it was uh, ESPN did that um, that that special with Oklahoma the, the yeah. reunion, and I, the most impressive thing to to me was seeing Brian Bosworth and how contrite and how how um, how much he's grown and how much uh, it stuck out to me when he was talking to his son, which is what I always try to take away from things um, and how I. I, I remember that now. And, he was, and his son wanted to wear something. He was like, why would you want to do this? Look what it did 
to me and, yep. and uh it's just and so um it's amazing that as we get older we get more uh, we get more we get wiser and, and this is the wisdom that comes with but you know they say 90 percent of the knowledge is just knowing where to find it yep. and so um sometimes i may not know but um being able to facilitate or find something for my son is uh is and and in that case it was the um it was the uh the espn show and i saw coach switzer and i saw how they apparently Tony Casillas is the only one that still has issues with 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 Brian, and mm-hmm. um, uh, I'm not sure uh, if it's just. Uh, but he, when he kind of comes out and says he wrecked the the program and embarrassed it, and he's sorry, and uh, it, uh, it's just that's something special. You know, and it's, let's make the transition a little bit here for uh, for post life. You know, you got you're getting ready to graduate, graduated here, and of course, light, law enforcement in your family. Obviously, your dad in the FBI. You kind of stayed in that. You went to to the police force, right? Knoxville, Tennessee. Knoxville. How yeah. long were you down there? I was down there for ten years. Um, so what happened was it was '96, and it was uh, like a lot of guys. I was it was prior to that I was law school or and I started applying to police departments just in case and um, I really didn't want to go to law school only because I didn't want to go to WVU <laughs> and so that's that's my hatred for for that school up there but um, with that in mind um, I I started applying to police departments dad had worked undercover in Knoxville and he had worked with several of the of the uh, the, of the police, of the supervisors, administrators, uh, tactical teams, and um, and he uh, he had recommended it. I went down there, had a what I thought was a, a great career. Um, I started to get a little jaded um, every time Homeland Security would uh, would would change the color code. I'd find myself guarding a parking lot somewhere, and I just knew that when my tactical background and my and the rescue squad and all my my skydiving and, and rock climbing and that I there was something more and I would go home then and see after 2001 is actually 2003 I would see the Marines taking Saddam's palace and that's when I sat down with Crystal and said listen um, you know we're getting ready to have a child but if I'm going to do this I'm going to do this now and that's when I transitioned over um, and from there I went to Iraq and I spent probably three three and a half Almost three and a half years in Iraq. Were you were you with a, a private company or were you with the military? So when I went over there, I was with uh, I was with I was attached to the to the army. Okay. As a contractor. Okay. So I went over there as a law what they a lap a law enforcement professional. Okay. Now, um, there's a lot of money in that, but a lot of risk too. Yeah, a lot of risk. And I didn't. I wasn't. Most of the guys would be on a FOB on a forward operating base somewhere where they would be advising a, a landowner or a, a, a colonel, um, a general, uh, something like that. Um, I was attached to a unit that would go out, and it was a ODA unit, special forces unit, and we worked with the uh, the task force at the time, um, and we would go out, and they would designate with finding high value targets. Now, my role in the beginning was I was a liaison because we had to take the Iraqi SWAT out. And so they would take them, but they're, they're you know, ODA, the U.S. Uh, coalition forces is what we were doing as Coalition was still operating as a military, and they're trying to train um, local police yeah. and SWAT teams. And so that's where I came in, and it started with that, and then once – uh, once I blended in and, and they got to trust me, then it was just it was an everyday. You know, I mean, uh, 300 missions later. Um, wow. So uh, some of the the best the best people on both sides uh-huh. um, that I worked with, and uh, and I I would go back tonight if it hadn't been for what happened. Well, let's fast forward a little bit and uh, and what happened. You were you're there almost three years. You're actually getting ready to come home, if, yeah. I, if I remember correctly. You're yeah. uh, what about sixteen days or something like that? Eighteen days. Eighteen days from yep. coming home. If you can take us back to what happened that day that 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 changed your life forever. Yeah. So uh, um, in in early 2009, we had a new SOFA agreement, and the SOFA agreement is a status of forces agreement that we enter into with the Iraqis, um, with the, the host country. And basically what it is, is it's how we're going to behave and what happens if somebody is out, you know, where's he going to be prosecuted, yeah. all that. So uh, what our role is going to be, we pull him back as advisors more. And um, But in 2009, we start to turn over all the prisoners that we had uh, housed since we since the uh, initial uh, shock and awe invasion. Well, um, there were 16 high-value targets that were all, 15 of them were on death row, and we had turned them over to the Iraqis. They were all al-Qaeda leadership, and within an hour, they were gone. 
and by gone, I mean uh, the Iraqis acted like they didn't even know. And the, the Iraqis at the jail, they either bribed or threatened their way out. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, we were tasked with going to find them immediately. And so we broke up and went and started looking for them. Um, if you fast forward, we found half of them in the first two days. Um, it took the rest of them that were, made it down to Baghdad. It took us about two weeks, but by that time, I had already I'd already landed back in the U.S. with my injuries. So what happened was, we went into a uh, village, uh, Qadisiya in Tikrit, mm-hmm. uh, Saddam's hometown, um, and so the whole place there um, is in in s- certain places is really really anti coalition forces, um, but the Iraqis are still good people, yeah. and so. We, we entered into a house, um, and we kind of split up. You know, we were trying to cover a lot of ground quickly, so it wasn't like a whole team was How big in. of a team were you with? There was a 12-man team. Yeah. We had two linguists, and then we had the attachments from the uh, from the ISWAT, from the Iraqi SWAT. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was probably 24 of us total, maybe somewhere around there, 20. Um, but we had split up to cover this whole village instantly. And um, I'm with two uh, Iraqis and a, and a linguist, and uh, as an Arabic speaker, I didn't, I didn't need the linguist. Um, just for the general information, uh, I, but we go up to the to the house and um, and I explain to the guy to the to the patriarch there that we're gonna, we're gonna we need to search your house to make sure nobody's in there and uh, and make sure you guys are fine. Uh, okay, no problem. And I'm speaking to him in Arabic, so mm-hmm. he's kind of a little shocked at first. Um, he he comes out and I said we need females out too, and that's where you get into problems. And so they're they're not uh, they're not going to have that. And I told him we're not searching anybody. We're not. You can come with me. I just need to check the house, make sure nobody's hiding. Now I'm communicating this in, mm-hmm. in Arabic. We go in. Um, we don't destroy the place like many like of the Iraqis. Yeah. yeah, we don't we don't take the TV because that's what they did under Saddam's regime. You know that's um, and so when we come out. I turn around, I apologize to him, I thank him, and I shake his hand, and he asks me, he looks at me, and he's asked me if I was Muslim, if I was Arabic, if I was Iraqi, and he, we go through all that, and he says, why are you speaking Arabic? And I just simply explain to him that I'm in your country, I, you shouldn't have to speak, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to use a little bit of, of, of kindness to, to get, you know, without just, they're used to people Diplomacy, too, yeah. It's, thank you, yeah. that, that's a better word. Um, and so, because of that, so he comes forward kisses me five times cheek 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 and then he tells me i'm welcome in his in his home in his village anytime he's one of the cheeks in the in the area mm-hmm. we go two doors down and i have to know this man didn't know this was set up like mm-hmm. this but we go two doors down and we go to a structure kick it in and when i the door and it, it's it, at first wouldn't budge i tried to kick it harder and it flew open and when i did i saw the command wire and I don't remember anything after that. And really? it just exploded. Um, it leveled pretty much the whole city block. Um, wow. Killed several people, um, which struggled with for a while. But so what happened was I, um, it blew me off whatever it was into a pillar. And then the second impact syndrome that we know so well in football, um, I was knocked out and then I hit the ground. Um, and it buried me under some rubble. Mm-hmm. Um I know this from my team and from the, what the after action reports. My medic comes around the corner and he looks and he sees the Iraqi male, the guy that was two doors down, the man, and his two sons digging. And he's standing there over me with my weapons uh, protecting me. And he's waving, pointing, saying that I think he's alive, something to that effect. Um, they uh, they end up giving him a, some type of an award, uh, some monetary award, just thanking him for his mm-hmm. uh, uh Humanity, because yeah. um, he could have ended my life right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's protecting me. Uh, they they somehow or another stabilized me and revived me as I flatlined a few times. Um, I woke up a couple days later in ICU with tubes and everything in me. But the point that I, when when I tell that, I, I make sure I emphasize that if if I was like even some of our U.S. coalition forces units that were just you know uh, that were. We're not going to fool around with the diplomacy that you'll do what I say because I say. Um, we're here. We're the ones. We're the Americans. We're the, and that doesn't – if I had done that to him, if I had been disrespectful, I, there's no way he would have – come. and I had no idea that was going to go on. Yeah. Um, and 
unbeknownst to any of us, Al-Qaeda had set up a camera across the street on a balcony, and they had videotaped all of it. Wow. And so when I watch the videotape now, um, it's uh, it doesn't bother me now, but like I'll show it when I'm speaking mm-hmm. to somebody, there's, to a group. And um, it's uh, we've got it from like a couple different angles because of their propaganda. And then because one of our sister units had a, a video camera okay. on that area. So um, I do have it on video. It's... Uh, um, it's just it bothered me for a long time. Not so much my injuries that I suffered because I suffered some catastrophic injuries. It's bothered me that um, the the survivor's guilt, the, mm-hmm. the what it caused, and uh, I had to come to terms with the fact that I might have kicked the door in and caused that, but I didn't plant that bomb there, yeah. and I didn't. And so, and that that might sound simple, but there's some things that have really that really struggled. So, um, so with you and on that door. Uh, obviously, you survived, but we'll talk about the injuries here in a second. But the, how many perished in that? I think there were twenty-three. Really? Yeah, twenty-three. Just I'm, of uh, citizens that were around there, p- girls and boys across the street. Wow. Um, I mean, they. Uh, it was. It leveled the whole. When you see the picture, the video, you'll see it, it leveled the whole city block. Um, and there was nothing. I mean, there was a hole, a crater-sized hole in the ground. And you know, I, as much as I wanted. I just went through a lot of emotions with that. Um, and at the end of the day, um, I had, you know, to be quite honest, I had done that three, four hundred times uh, prior to that. It was a common thing. And there wasn't any other way we could have mitigated that uh, risk. Uh, we were trying to, to get a hold of these guys that were before they set up an ambush, before mm-hmm. they were able to, to function as a as a unit and, and gather, garner leadership. And so um, we were moving fast for a reason. We weren't moving recklessly. But it's just one of those things that in my time, it was mm-hmm. my number. Tell folks about the injuries. What, what did you suffer? So um, it blew me from – so all I remember is I felt like a, 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 a flash of light and like a train hit me in the back of the head. And – that's all I can remember. However, um, apparently it blew me off the porch. What saved me was that big metal door, uh, from what I'm told, from what the surgeon said, uh, because it actually shielded a little bit of the blast, but it collapsed the whole structure, and it collapsed it on me. And um, uh, I suffered a traumatic brain injury, a broken neck. Um, it blew out or broke the majority of my teeth, uh, which all had to be removed and then uh, replaced with uh, implants. It uh, fractured my uh, right behind, I guess it's the orbital it bone. It's the eye socket, essentially. Um, my jaw um, blew my eardrums, uh, lost the use of my left eye with some peripheral vision and some night vision, and uh, separated my shoulder. Um, and the long-term effect of that outside of some of the uh, – is the seizures that I had for a long time. Now I haven't, I haven't had a seizure in, in several several months. Uh, but there for a while I was having one every like three weeks, and it was sometimes they were small ones. But every three or four months I'd have a full blown grandma seizure, and I had never had seizures before. But it was the the head injury, um, and so uh, that's been it's been twelve years of recovery, and and you know the vestibular therapy and the cognitive therapy and the the you know. When you go to somewhere um, and you're not in, uh, you know, I'm not in Fayetteville where there's a big base. I'm not at Fort Bragg. I'm not at Benning. I'm not at, you know, uh, any of these places where there's larger institutions. Um, I did go to NICO, the National Intrepid Center of Excellence, uh, which is, deals with specifically with not only head injuries, but um, how to, the therapeutic ways to deal with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, everybody that has gone there in D.C. has, has sworn by it. But um, uh that's that's pretty much the gist of it. I mean, other things that are that are uh, that are uh, not you know the night. I'll have nightmares about a, a couple things. Mm-hmm. I, I never have any nightmares about any engagements that I had or anyone I engaged. It's usually just one or two things, and uh, um, but those are the ongoing effects. I just had my dental surgery. Uh, since we're talking about, it, I just had it last week or week before last, um, and they put the uh, the rods up in my to my all the way through my because it blew out the majority of my upper upper portion of my mouth and Mm -hmm. um so they had to put the rods like i think they call them zygomatic implants but it it goes up into your cheeks uh and so they're going to attach the bridges to them as after the they took this uh, 38 stitches uh most of them have dissolved so and and it's been 12 years but it's been um i'm i'm on i can see the light at the end of the tunnel and i'm anxious to get through that so when you came where did you come to when you realize 
I was when I woke up. I was in uh, I was in the cache, still in Iraq, and they uh-huh. couldn't fly me home right then because I had a head injury, and they could they had to stabilize me first. Mm-hmm. So they either were going to send me to Balad, which is um, Anaconda. That's the biggest base we had there, um, Air Force Base. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had swimming pools and, and theaters, <laughs> and you'd have thought you were looking on the beach, but they. Um, <laughs> Uh, they were going to send me there, but if they had me there, they were going to keep me there for like two months. To do and so, rehab and all that. Yeah, yeah. And, and so the, the the problem was getting me on the flight to, to fly home at that altitude with a head injury. And so once they stabilized me and got me home, um, then I had an, I had the option of where I wanted to go. And mainly because of, of my wife and son, I wanted to be here with them, and I didn't want to – I mean, I, at that point, I was – if I ever needed somebody, it was at that point. And so I did, so I, and you know, I struggled to get healthcare here mm-hmm. uh, as far as, as, you know, uh, I mean, we've got great, you know, Marshall yeah. University and the Jonah C. Edwards uh, Cancer Center, everything mm-hmm. about yeah. that is, is, but it's just not, you know, it's not somewhere where they're used to having head injuries come in yeah. on a regular basis. Oh, like, especially probably where yeah. you were. Gunshot wounds, uh, tr- blast wounds. Um, some of the guys that we had in Iraq, um, had had we been there earlier, or had it happened a year or two before, they would have just amputated the arm. But they got so good at what they were doing, those surgeons, and um, they were so skilled. It's like if you're going to be a good surgeon, you go into the to to where you know you you're going to have a better shot in Chicago yeah. dealing with gunshot wounds every day than you are. And so this was the same way with blast injuries in Iraq. Did did you have to go through surgeries? Um, yeah, I had. Uh, so I've had five surgeries so far wow okay. and the one thing i haven't had to have is my neck fuse which uh, that's what i was staying away from be, and i would but the bit the biggest problem when i got home was the the migra- the pain and mm-hmm. jason i got to the point where i i really considered sticking a fork in my eye because i thought that would relieve the pressure that's how bad the the piercing pain was and um i didn't want to go down the road where uh where i now all of a sudden um, I'm in this boat of being an, a full-blown addict mm-hmm. and, uh, because of, of the pain medicine. But I had to – so fortunately I had a, a, a family that uh, they weaned me off of it quickly. As, and, and, you know, I suffered a little bit, but it was, it was worth it in the yeah. long run. When you go back and look at that, you say you look at the video and stuff like that now. Do you, what do you think – what do you think kept you alive that day? Do you think it was – Something up above. I, I do. Yeah. Um, I'm, you know, I, and I've listened to, I've listened to Jason's testimony, Jason Starkey's testimony several times. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't be around Mike Bartram for more than a minute without n- understanding about his faith and 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 mine's not so much that I, you know, I, because I don't talk about it, but it had to have been a higher power because. For some reason that I fought for a long time, they saw fit to keep me alive or to to save me. And I mean, some of those people were decapitated. Yeah. And so it had to have been a higher power. It had to have been God. It had to have been uh, not my time. Um, and I, I truly believe that I can, um, uh, you know, I can struggle with things and still believe that um, that that was. I mean, there was nothing short of a miracle. Mm-hmm. So, it is. I mean, plain and simple, it yeah. is a miracle indeed. But I think it. With everything from that, it has opened up things for you to be able to to talk to young people, to talk to other people about your story and about perseverance and battling through and and I'm in all that. I'm glad you mentioned that because that that's what the you know the the only thing that makes me feel as good as I did when I was in Iraq, and I knew the day I got into Iraq that I was put on this earth to be there. I knew it was the right decision. I, I Once I accepted the fact that I was going to get killed, this was in 07 when the, you know, we're losing 155 troops a month, mm-hmm. um, soldiers a month. Uh, IEDs are just, it's, so it's the height of the surge and of the, of the deaths in Iraq. And I knew once I accepted that, once I wrote a letter to, to my wife and son, uh, I was good. And, um, I come home wounded and and in in the shape that I'm at that I'm that I'm in but I look back on it as a blessing because it's given me a chance to talk to so many people and do the one thing that I'm more passionate about than anything and that's help people that are going through extreme adversity um, we lost 27 teammates mm-hmm. over a three year three and a half year period in Iraq only to come home and have a brother that's dying of cancer my best friend um, having our teammates Chris Deaton mm-hmm. and Phil and Michael Payton and JD and we can go on and it's just 
and at some point it adds up and I compartmentalized everything up until last year I wrote my brother uh, an email every every month mm-hmm. just checking on him and he's been gone 10 years um, and so um, but what it's done is it's allowed me to do what I used to do well in with with leadership and with dealing with um, a lot of guys that are struggling whether they're vets or whether they're uh, it, it does, any PTSD anything that could lead down that dark road to suicide and that's where my jam comes in and that's where i that's where i function and if i have to drive to indianapolis tonight to talk a teammate down then i'll do that now we're not going to go up there and drink and party like he thinks we're going to do but he's not going to jump off that bridge as long as as long as they give me a chance so um you know dealing with firearms and and suicide dealing with talking to you know one of my greatest honors jay was being able to talk to the marshall university uh, football team this past summer and it's no different than what Starkey mentioned to you the fact that they had me over there and coach Gale sat there and listened to me give my testimony mm-hmm. and talk about what kept me alive my teammates from Marshall th- they were the ones that kept me alive they're the ones to this day that keep me alive and that keep me and aside from my son um, mm-hmm. and so those are the things that when I can talk to other people about adversity you know I tell this, the students this all the time and I, I know we're we're wrapping things up, but I talked to the the players about this. You know, adversity is not getting arrested and getting kicked off the team or getting suspended for a game or breaking your leg or blowing out your knee and having to sit. That's not adversity. But you're learning to deal with adversity on a smaller scale because when you deal with the real adversity, when you deal with when 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 you deal with as a police officer you have to go notify a man that his wife mom and three girls were killed in a minivan accident right before christmas and he's just lost his entire family that's adversity mm-hmm. when your your wife tells you she has breast cancer and she's when you find out that someone's in stage four you know get your uh, affairs in order mm-hmm. um there's nothing we can do you know it makes you not only appreciate uh Guys like Eric Gates who have beat cancer, mm-hmm. and guys like Coach Gale, and and all these people that have had these uh, these just tremendous success stories, and I feed off of that. But I try and explain to the young guys that these these things aren't adverse; these are humps in the road. Um, the real adversity you'll be prepared for, and how I learned to deal with it, how I learned to deal with the chaos, which I was very comfortable in in Iraq, was what I learned here at Marshall on yeah. a smaller scale. Um, and so, how I learned to to operate as uh, being part of something bigger and then dealing with chaos and dealing with adversity started at Winfield and Marshall. That's awesome. And of course, now it, it transitions in the fact of, you know, you talk about your brothers and the herd, and we have herd brothers now, which is great. And I say it's herd brothers, it's really, it's herd brothers and sisters too, because there's a lot of, a lot of uh, ladies Amen. that are involved with us on it. And they, uh, I always tell folks this, I've been, you know, I've been blessed with a lot of things in my life. You know, I have two beautiful, healthy kids. Uh, you know, my wife and I, We've been. I just celebrated our second wedding anniversary, but we dated in high school, so it's like oh, thirty-year wow. separation. I found you know the love of my life. Wow. Uh, but the other part of it too is is the time that I have, time that I continue to have with Marshall University, Marshall Athletics, the Herd Brothers. Because growing up, I had you know I had a stepbrother. I was lucky enough to have a stepbrother. I was an only child. That's these right. guys, these guys and girls with Herd Brothers. And uh, are my brothers for life. You know, I know I know Amen. the folks you served with over overseas in Iraq, yeah. or you served in the police force with. Yeah. I mean, you've got a whole bunch of brothers and sisters out there right. supporting you. Yeah, so. and, but you know what? None of them are are, are any important than the other. And yep. the thing is, is what I try to tell people is, Iraq and what we did over there, it was no different with the exception of the the consequences it was no different than 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 how you strategically plan for a game and how yeah. you prepare and how you you're, the, the you know having the guy next you're fighting for the guy next to you you're yeah. not fighting for the country or for the fans you're fighting for the guy next to you you're doing your job as bill belichick likes to say there's so many correlations but the bottom line is that the teammates the camaraderie the brotherhood that's for life and teammates will yep. never be as important during your playing time mm-hmm. as they will be in the future yeah it doesn't matter if you're a heisman trophy winner or if you worked in the equipment room or anywhere else that all togetherness there and we'll have that forever and Amen. and i'm glad that's brought you and i together back early on continues to, to keep us together too and uh, you know i uh, continue to pray for you brother because i know that uh, it's been a battle and it continues to be a battle and you know you got us here we've got and i know i've got you which is awesome too so uh which is the great thing and um uh, you know before i wrap it up though i want you to talk about your son Braden. how how big how important is this man in your life 
and he's a man now. That's the thing about it. He is, he truly is a big man. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, so Braden is um <clears throat> um when when I came home, uh, I had been gone for a long time, and uh, and it was it was very difficult on, my, on on Crystal, and we ended up splitting up, and we're still we're still friends, we still co-parent, um, but it's been hard on Braden. He watched my little brother go through cancer and die from seizure or die from cancer. In his mind, at seven years old, he thought that was seizures. So when he sees mm-hmm. his dad go through that. Um, it's been very difficult for him, but that said, he's stronger than than I could ever think about being, and he's uh, the things he's gone through and the things he's going to do, and uh, he's just uh, like I said, he reminds me every day that at six three two seventy five, um, <laughs> and he could squash me if he wanted to, and and the fact of the matter is, I'm sure he could, but I'm so <laughs> proud of him, and I'm so proud of um, of his of his uh, drive and his. The fact that he's such a good person is all that, – that's the best feeling as, as a father when you know your kids are, are good people because of things you've instilled in them. Six three two seventy five. What's that food bill like with you and Crystal? Is that pretty well, good? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing. Well, granddad fits a lot of that bill too. The FBI has a good retirement plan and probably needs a lot of it. So, Hey, Jared, we appreciate you, brother. Thanks for taking time and telling folks your story. Uh, and I know if, if folks want to reach out to you, how can they do that? So um, I'm on Facebook, Jared Turner. Um, I'm on um, uh, my email is uh, Jared, and that's J A R E D underscore hitman at yahoo.com. Um, they can, I mean, anybody at Marshall knows how to get a hold of me. And I, I talk to people every day uh, from different walks of life that are dealing with things like this. And I, I that's what I, that, I don't, I don't mind being woke up at three in the morning to help somebody if it's going to truly. Um, and so um, that makes, that gives me that purpose mm-hmm. again. And aside from what I do with Marshall and the Herd Brothers and all that, um, then, then I, I'm glad, glad to do that and to pursue that now as, as I'm, as I'm, as I'm able to. Um, and let's, Jason, I'm, I can't tell you how proud I am and how what an honor it is to be here. Thank you so much. Um, you have no idea what this meant to me, and uh, you have More no idea. Me, More um, me. And we. You know, we, we go back, and uh, I love you, and I'm proud of you. Love you too, brother. I appreciate you as always, folks. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of our Thundering Herd Legends series, folks. we got more coming your way. Just keep tuning, keep subscribing, keep sharing too, and go Herd, everybody. You've been listening to the Thundering Herd Legends one-on-one podcast. Thank you for checking us out, and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. If you want to contact us, you can email us anytime, studio at bigbuck1015.com, or find us online at bigbuck1015.com. The Big Buck Thundering Herd Legends one-on-one podcast has been a production of Kindred Digital, Toy Production Services, and your home for the legends. Big Buck Country 1015.